Well, hello, I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams with you and the interpretations along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wit and Dream of It. This week's dream is called Under New Management. I was working in a place that I had worked before. The very front was outdoors, and for some reason there was a sort of a doctor's office check-in desk. The rest of the business was indoors with white walls alternating with mirrored walls and chrome trim. The back wall featured a raised desk with a cash register. The sales floor looked like a retail store, but it seemed to change frequently. Sometimes it would be well-lit, but other times quite shadowed, and the merchandise would change from new clothes to used clothes to a hodgepodge of miscellaneous items. I think the check-in desk might have been some sort of new loss prevention program that monitored who was in the store at any given time. The current manager didn't know that I had managed this business before, but she had hired me as an assistant manager. When a guy who had been the senior assistant manager for a long time decided to leave, the manager hired from outside for his replacement. I tried to tell her that I had been the manager of the store before, and she should have at least considered me for the promotion. She did a cursory check, but found no proof of my previous employment in the computer. I explained that it might have to do with my name change. She told me that I would have to provide proof to prevent being passed over for future promotions. It had been so long that I doubted I could find any proof. The senior assistant manager who had left looked and acted like Daniel Levy's character, David Rose, on Schitt's Creek. He came into the business with tons of lovely sculptures, paintings, batiks, and clothing that he had made, and we set up his works as a gallery show in the store. I kept trying to get near him to express my appreciation of his work, but people kept pulling me away to do other tasks. A group that was in some way affiliated with our business showed up and had a party in the gallery. Our team had to clean up after the party, and then we had to clean up after tearing down the gallery. As we were cleaning up, I went through some old paperwork, trying to find evidence to support my status as a previous manager of the business. I really wanted to get promoted as soon as possible. That one was a little short. This dream's concepts are similar to those in episode one, Family in a Box, so you might notice some similarities in the interpretation. Dreaming of a familiar place takes the dreamer back into their past to a time when lessons were learned. I worked in a place similar to the one in my dream many years ago. Did I learn lessons then? I'm sure I did, but what were they? That's when I learned the value of creating a social network. Even if it's a small one, it can be really important through good times and bad. 
When a dream takes place in a former workplace, the dreamer may need to apply an old lesson learned to a current situation. That's curious. This dream has pointed me toward a lesson or lessons learned two times in a row. Maybe it's time to reach out to my social network and make sure it's still healthy. Oh, right. I'm going to my high school reunion in October, so hopefully I'll be renewing lots of friendships. When I kept trying to speak to the artist who was my former coworker, I was repeatedly asked to do this or that other task. I guess this means that I was hard at work, which can indicate that if I work hard, I can achieve success. That's not very profound. I mean, being hard at work in a dream, advising the dreamer to work hard. Can you hear me rolling my eyes? The thing is, I don't really aspire to promotions or more challenging work anymore. I just want to be really good at what I do. Promotion or advancement of someone in a dream, whether it's the dreamer or someone else, predicts fortunate things, including the success of friends. Let me know if any of you get a job promotion, receive recognition for something, win the lottery, especially with the lucky numbers from the show, or if anything else fortunate happens for you. I'll even share it in a future episode, with your permission, of course. The presence of an artist in a dream can indicate that the dreamer is in tune with the inner, irrational, creative side. I think this has always been the case for me, but as I write these episodes, I've become much more familiar with that side of myself. An art gallery represents something from the past that is having an impact on now. There's that theme again! Another meaning of an art gallery, however, can be that I need to preserve something from the here and now. I'm going to allow myself to go off on a little tangent here. This recurrent theme of something from the past being applied now and hard work paying off reminds me of parenthood. I never realized how fleeting parenthood would be. One day you're in the thick of it, thinking that your children will be children forever. Then suddenly, they're adults. All of the hard work that you put into keeping them safe and preparing them for adulthood is put to the test as you hand it off to them. Maybe I need to be thankful that although I definitely made mistakes as a parent, my children don't seem to hold those mistakes against me. Perhaps I need to give my parents the same forgiveness, even though their mistakes were much more difficult to understand. Believe it or not, I labored for a long time over those thoughts. All of the dreams I've shared with you have dipped into my psyche, and each time I think to myself that we must have hit the bottom by now. Apparently, my dreams still have things to teach me. Before I get lost in this moment of profound awareness, I should get back to the dream. The business that set the scene was primarily white with silver in the mirrors and chrome trim. White may indicate that a dreamer has a new outlook on life and may even be experiencing a new beginning. I think the self-awareness that I'm gaining through sharing my dreams with you is some sort of a new beginning. Perhaps each week is a new beginning. Mirrors and dreams represent the inner self. Since the mirrors were clear, my dream is telling me to try to be more myself with my friends and my husband. Do I remember how to be myself? Did I ever know how to be myself? How can a person actively try to be more themselves? Is not thinking about it the key to doing it? I hope you're still with me because I'm having a real awakening, if that's the right word for it. 
Attending a dream party pretends harmony and pleasing relationships. Cleaning up indicates the clearing of some negativity and obstacles as the dreamer embarks on a new part of life. I think that's the truest statement of this dream. I am sweeping away things that I've held on to for so long that I'm not sure who to be without them. Talking with you, my listeners, has been transformative for me. I feel like I'm entering a new phase of life and bringing all of you with me. I worry sometimes that I'll run out of wild dreams to share and interpret for you because I won't have any psychological junk to deal with anymore. But I have a really wild imagination. There should always be something to talk about. I will now present you with this week's lucky numbers, brought to you by dream artists everywhere. The lucky numbers are 15, 16, 22, 40, 44, 52. Once again, that's 15, 16, 22, 40, 44, 52. Speaking of luck, I found my first four-leaf clover by accident at the age of seven, and I have found hundreds since then. Somehow my far-sighted eyes noticed the difference between them and their three-leaved neighbors without even trying. On a few occasions, I found as many as five in just a minute or two. One sunny afternoon about ten years ago, I was out for a walk with my first little sister, Becca. We were walking at a pretty good pace when I just stopped, and I think I even backed up a few steps. I bent over and came up with somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven four-leaf clovers. There were so many they formed a little green bouquet above my fingertips. I remarked to Becca, I really should have better luck since I find so many of these. I'll never forget Becca's reply. She said, Imagine what your luck would have been like if you hadn't found all of them. <laughs> that really gave me something to think about. I don't find as many four-leaf clovers now that presbyopia has made my farsightedness worse. I may not as readily see the subtle differences of a few clovers among hundreds of others, but I can see the trees around me beginning to turn their autumnal colors. This inspires me to continue talking about superstitions related to Halloween and all things spooky. Last week we discussed cats and crows, and this week we'll move on to bats and some spooky characters who are often associated with them. Witches. You thought I was going to say vampires, didn't you? All in good time, my pretties. <laughs> Just bear with me. <laughs> Bats get a bad rap because they live in dark, dank places like caves and abandoned buildings, and they only come out at night. Many cultures associate them with vampires, witchcraft, misfortune, and death, and this has been the case since ancient times. It is considered a bad omen if you're getting married and a bat appears in the church. My thought is, any flying, pooping critter in the church during a wedding is a bad omen. If you happen to be outside to see it, a bat flying thrice around your house is an omen of death for someone inside. Hmm. I wonder what happens if you don't see it. Finding a bat inside the house may be an omen of death or disappearance of the people within. This is probably because some people believe that witches use bats' blood to turn themselves into bats to gain entry into houses. 
If a bat flies near someone's body but misses them, this may mean that the person is threatened by witchcraft. To keep witches away, the superstitious are advised to carry a live bat three times around the house and then nail its dead body beside a window or else to the door of an outhouse. Ugh, sounds like a great way to get rabies, in my opinion. Also, what's the difference between the bat flying thrice around the house versus being carried thrice around the house? <sighs> the things people will do to avoid witches. In some countries, bats are symbols of long life and happiness. In fact, some believe that to kill a bat will shorten the life of the bat's killer. Other people carry bat hearts, eyes, or bones for luck or even invisibility. Chicory root is easier to get your hands on, people. Just saying. Witches supposedly use bats' blood in a flying ointment that prevents broomstick crashes, and people who want to see in the dark wash their faces in bats' blood. I guess some people haven't heard about the shortened life of a bat killer or hygiene. <laughs> like the cats and crows in last week's superstition discussion, bats can predict the weather. Seeing bats flying early in the evening is a sign of good weather on the way. If a bat actually crashes into a building, rain is in the forecast. But if that were the only predictor of rain, it might never rain. You see, bats rarely collide with anything because in addition to being able to see, they have sonar. There was a time when people thought that bats were blind because of the haphazard way that they fly. As an extension of this misconception, they thought that bats would frequently collide with women's heads and get tangled in their hair. I can debunk this from experience. When I was working as a tour guide in a local cave, this little gray bat kind of befriended me. Normally, we didn't see bats in the cave because we turned the lights on as we entered a room and turned them off when we exited that room. Bats, being nocturnal, didn't usually hang out with us or our tour patrons. One day, I spotted this little gray bat, and I started seeing it on every single tour that I gave. The bat actually became part of my tour. I would point it out with my flashlight several times on each pass through the cave. Sometimes the bat would dive bomb me or the patrons, but no matter how closely it flew, it never collided with anyone. Then there came a day when a couple came to the cave so that the wife could face her fear, meaning claustrophobia. It wasn't a very busy day, so I decided to take just the two of them into the cave. This way, I could give them extra attention if it was needed. Although the woman was short of breath and sweating despite the 55-degree cave temperature, she was really hanging in there. We were almost to the halfway point in the cave where we would turn back for the second half of the hour-long tour. I was worried about this one spot where most adults have to duck their heads to get through, but it looked like she was going to make it. That was until my sweet little bat decided to fly so close by her head as she ducked under this place that I saw her hair move. Needless to say, the tour was over. If I hadn't turned back with the couple, the lady would have blindly run into total cave darkness, and I didn't want her to face that. Even as a tour guide with my fingers on the light switch, I got a little bit of the heebie-jeebies when I would turn off the lights to demonstrate how absolute the darkness is in a cave. 
if you've never experienced that before, you can actually feel your pupils dilate when you turn off the lights in a cave because it's so dark, they can't find any light at all. And so they reach their maximum size in a millisecond. It's a really strange sensation. And I kind of recommend experiencing it at least once in your lifetime. Two good things came out of this experience. First, my little bat proved that although the woman's hair was literally a hair's breadth away, there was no tangling in the hair or crashing into anything. Second, the woman thanked me for the abbreviated tour and felt that it was a success. Unfortunately, I never saw my little bat again. I think the woman's scream scared that little creature back into the shadows. If you want to meet someone who won't be found hiding in the shadows, look no further than Libra. The Libra-born person will party for any reason on any day at any time. They will be the center of attention, busy demonstrating how many ways they can say, on the other hand, to avoid being wrong or to avoid making a decision. Libra will avoid dramatic emotional outbursts in public unless they are the ones being emotional and dramatic. This rarely happens, though, because Libra has trouble deciding whether to shrug off the situation or lose their mind. Oftentimes, when Libra decides to lose it, the opportunity no longer exists. If a Libra visits a career counselor in high school, they should be advised to look into a career in politics. They have an innate talent for saying many things, but nothing at all. On top of that, Libras can pursue whatever goal they set almost obsessively, and once they learn to control their more dramatic side, they can take down earth, water, and fire signs like their babies. Libra will collaborate with fellow air signs, who probably are politicians too. To love a Libra man is to have the pants charmed off of you. Nothing is too good for the Libra man's lover. He'll marry you on Sunday and start an affair with someone he met at the wedding on Monday. As Oscar Wilde, a Libra born on October 16th, was quoted as saying, A Libra man can resist anything except temptation. Confront your Libra husband about his indiscretions, and instead of getting angry, he'll drive you to your tipping point. If you're lucky, he'll be indecisive and distractible. If you're not so lucky, he'll be strutting his stuff in nightclubs while you're waiting at home with the kids. When he finally returns home, he'll keep you up into the wee hours expounding how his naughty behavior actually benefits you because you're better at handling the mundane things without his interference. He may be confused about the real world into which you have thrust him. Before getting married, his idea of the future was until the next day and he thought marriage was a give and take. You give, and he takes. If you end the relationship, he may not even notice until he calls you for a booty call because he doesn't remember who you are. <laughs> Loving a Libra woman is to win the romantic jackpot. She is everything you've ever wanted in a long-term, perhaps permanent partner, but you likely will be one in a swarm of competitors for her affections. She will be too busy looking in the mirror and touching up her already perfect lipstick to notice your suffering. She is a lover of excess. 
Shopping and self-improvement are where this characteristic will be most evident. Instead of making decisions, she'll just take it all. And by the time you're starting to be offered the senior discount in restaurants, she'll be full of silicone and barely able to move her face. If you and your Libra woman decide to part ways, she will grasp at you long after it's over, regardless of which one of you officially ended the relationship. She's not watching chick flicks and eating ice cream while texting you. She's making sure you're suffering while she sets up three dates for next week. Libras, all of those fingers that are pointing at you now will have their turns later. Laugh it off and check out this fun story from Upworthy.com. If you're out on a first date with someone, you're probably asking yourself a lot of questions. Do they like me? Do I like them? Do I have spinach in my teeth? Did I lock my car? Should I ask them for a second date? Ooh, I think asking for a second date carries more risk than asking for the first date. Sure, you could have gotten rejected for a first date, but won't it feel worse if they don't want a second date now that they got to know you a little? TikToker Joe Brunza has a simple solution for the second date question. Her way prevents awkwardness and hurt feelings, and it leaves her date with a first date story that they'll probably tell their grandchildren someday. How does she do this voodoo? She begins ranting about the moon not being real. She says that her dates are usually speechless, so it doesn't even turn into a debate. By the time she gets to her argument that there are projectors in Greenland that create the effect of the moon, her date has decided not to ask for a second date. Problem solved. Creating this content for you is a dream come true for me, so your support means more than you know. Please tell your family, friends, and coworkers, and anybody else you know about Wouldn't Dream of It so that we can keep growing. Wouldn't Dream of It is produced, written, and edited by me, Eliza Jones. Marketing assistance provided by Lapis Hale and Leah Wade. This week, my first little sister, Becca, provided me some feedback on my sound quality. So thanks for that, Becca. Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted, both with a Y in place of the I. Connect with us on social media at Wouldn't Dream of It or email us at Wouldn't Dream of It at gmail.com. That's Wouldn't without the apostrophe. Be sure to check my show notes for a complete list of references used to create this podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.